Well, 75 million. 75 million, that's quite the number, quite a good size number. Do you know that uh, every, every, uh, every year there's a tremendous amount of money that pours into the United States? As a matter of fact, it's a, a number that's almost phenomenal. The problem is that none of it is real. Well, very little of this particular money is real. Peru actually has started a, a campaign of uh, what would consider to be the equivalent of a drug lord, but only when it comes to counterfeit money. And they pour money upon money into the United States. It goes through uh, Texas. It goes through Florida. And just a, a pile of money is put in there. As a matter of fact, in 10 years, they have caught or found $75 million of counterfeit money. That's amazing. And that they figure that's about half of what it really is. So they figure there's somewhere around $150 million every 10 years or $15 million a year that is produced that looks really like the real thing, but it's not. The problem is the damage that it creates you can imagine that kind of money coming into an economy and the damage that's created by that to the economy. And so it's something that they're working at in order to try to prevent that from happening. Well, to tell you the truth, Paul, when he writes this chapter, this part, is really talking about the damage when something is fake instead of real. And the damage that that causes to the church and the witness of the church and the opportunity the church has to change the world. And so with that in mind, let's go to Romans chapter 12, and you're going to pick it up at verse 9. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord." Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as we look at this passage this morning, we realize that it talks about how believers ought to be like, or how we ought to be like. In verse 9, it says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. And the, the word for love here is the word agape. It's not the word phileo, we see that farther on, but it's the word agape. And the word agape is this unconditional love that God has for us. Now we know the Bible teaches us that God has an unconditional love for his creation. It does not mean that he agrees with sin or loves sin, but he does love people. And he loves them unconditionally to the point that he'd send Jesus Christ who willingly came and died on the cross for our salvation. What he's calling us to do here 
is to show that same kind of love to everybody around us. Now that's not easy. You think that God's able to do that because of who he is, but he's calling us to do that as believers, to love everybody around us with that same kind of love. You say, how is that possible? Well, it's not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit moves in us and the power of God moves in us, then that love that God has for others is in us as well. And so it's having that walk with God, that harmony with God, that allows us to genuinely love everybody around us with unconditional love. Now let's be honest, that's not always that easy. Uh, Let's be honest, not everybody is lovable. Matter of fact, there's days when you're not lovable. Sorry, had to say it, had to hit home, but there's days when you're not lovable, let's be honest. And there's days when you look in the mirror and you don't even love yourself. And you think, hey, you know, I don't like the way I am. I don't like that attitude. I don't like this. And you're grumpy and you don't know why and those kind of things. And so that's not easy to do. And yet God loves us no matter what kind of a day we're having. God loves us if we're getting out of bed and we're grumpy in the morning and kick our foot against the the bedpost. God loves us if we're getting out of bed and, you know, there's roses and flowers and everything else. Everything's going on. God still loves us. That doesn't change. God loves us in that, and we're to demonstrate that same kind of love in every relationship that we have. Now, when you look at this, it says, let love be genuine. The word love kind of reminds us of Pastor Dave last week taking us to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, you know the famous section that we use in weddings and those kind of things, as Pastor Dave mentioned. And he talked about the first part of that. I want to really focus on verse 4. And it says, let love be patient. And this is probably why we read it at weddings. Let love be patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, uh, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, when I look at the first part of 1 Corinthians, I'm reminded of the power of love, that love has the ability to help us to use our gifts in a godly way. When I look at this portion, I'm reminded of the fact that love has to be right in order for our relationships to need to be where they need to be. It's having that love, that agape love, that allows every relationship that we have to be right. It's having that figured out and allowing the love of God to flow through us that helps us to do that. Now in this passage, he moves from that which is easy to that which is hard. In this passage, he begins to write about love and how it moves from that which is easy for us to do and that which is hard. He actually says that we are to, first of all, love ourselves. Now in the right way. We're to love the church. We're to love the world around us And we are to love the enemies that we have. Not easy, but can be done. When I look at this, it says, let love be genuine. Now, you wouldn't know this unless you have a different version. But what it really says in the Greek is don't let your love be counterfeit or better yet, hypocrisy. That's what the word means. Don't let your love be counterfeit or hypocrisy. Don't let it be fake. Let it be real. Let it flow from you. 
Don't be putting on a mask is the idea. And you remember when you go back to the first of Romans chapter 12, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't put on a mask. Don't let your love be hypocrisy. Don't let it just seem like you're something you're doing for a purpose, but let it flow from you naturally. The idea here is that love needs to be genuine. It needs to come out of us because of the Holy Spirit towards others around us that we aren't conforming to the world, but demonstrating Christ to everyone around us. Now, the idea of the word is from the Greek. Don't let your love be hypocrisy. It's from the Greek. And it actually means actor is the idea. And it comes from the Greek stage where people would get up on stage and they would put on a mask and they would act a certain part. And the idea would be then to make sure that you're acting real, not putting on fake. And the idea was from the actor on stage. And the word literally means to speak underneath. To speak underneath. And so what he's saying here is don't let yourself be one who just kind of puts on one kind of a face and maybe even speaks another. Or worse yet, puts and speaks, but is somebody else. He said, let it be genuine. Let it flow from you. To speak underneath, you can imagine an actor with a, with a mask on, and when they're speaking out, it's from speaking underneath the mask, and it comes out that way. And he's saying, let your love be genuine. Let the Holy Spirit move through you. Let the Holy Spirit work through you so that your love is not hypocritical. It is real, and people see that. To have agape love for these people around us is not easy. To have agape love for ourselves, I think most of us don't struggle with that. It's to have agape love for, you know, the church when the church isn't where it needs to be. Having agape love for the people of the world around us. Now, we're not to love the world or the things of the world, but we're to love the people as God loves them. And then to have agape love for our enemies, how difficult that is. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to look into your word and the reminder this morning that we are light of the world. We are light of the world. And the Bible tells us that the people see that light to how we love them, how we show our love towards each other and how we show our love towards them. And so, Father, I pray that as we look at this passage, we'd be reminded that we have a wonderful opportunity to change the world around us by how well or what kind of love we demonstrate to those around us. We ask your blessing now as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So it tells us here to let your love be genuine, to let it to be the gape love that flows through us to those around us. We're to love in that sense. And the first person we're to love or the first group of people or whatever you want to say is ourselves. How are we to act towards ourselves? It says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now that may sound a little familiar to you. You remember the phrase that you oftentimes hear from Genesis, which is leave and cleave? That a, a man is to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the two are to become one flesh? That's the idea that's here. It's the same terminology. It's the same idea. And as a believer, then, we are to leave the things of the world. Leave the sin of the world, the evil of the world, those kind of things. And we are to cling to that which is good, to cling to that which is right. And that's the idea that we are to do as believers in this world. 
Oftentimes I'm asked, or sometimes I'm asked by a young person, and young people, I'm speaking to you today. And you say, well, what's the one thing that I could do to change my life or have a successful life? Now, besides Jesus Christ, that's the place where it begins. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus as your personal Savior. But besides Jesus Christ, the greatest thing that you can do is follow this advice. I would take you to this passage, and I'd simply say, in everything that you do, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. You say, how does that work? Well, when it comes to my finances, by based on the word of God, do I do what's right? Do I abhor what is evil and the misuse of my finances? Or do I put God first in my life, do what is good in my finances? You say, what about my time? Well, how am I managing my time? Abhor what is evil, do what is good or cling to that which is good. You think, well, what about my treasure? What my time? What about my talent? How am I using that? Am I using it for God in a godly way? Do I have this principle in my life? No matter what situation you go into, if you can take a few moments just to reflect and say, what's the right thing to do here? What's the right thing to do? God, give me wisdom on this. James, give me wisdom in this situation. Help me to know how to do this. And then to reflect on that and then take the best move that you can under the guidance and the direction of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Down through the years of being married for now almost 43 years. I know I don't look it. I'm not that old. I know. I get it. That's all right. You can apologize later thinking that. But anyway, I've been going down through that, that long. My wife and I have oftentimes come to places where we've agreed to do something or said we were going to do something and then or made an agreement with somebody and then all of a sudden their side of it falls through or something didn't work out the way we thought it would. And our principle down through the years has been we've made this commitment, we've made this promise, we're going to keep that up, we're going to do what's right no matter what anybody else does and we're going to leave the circumstances or the consequences to God. You know, that has worked. That has worked every time. It has never failed. I can walk away saying I did what was right. I clung to that which was good and I left everything else to God. And that's what you need to do. That means to be a guiding principle for you. If you're starting out in life, if you're halfway through life, you're ending your life, have this attitude of I'm going to abhor, leave that which is evil, which we are when we become Christ, become more like Christ and I'm going to cling to that which is good. It'll change your life. It really will. And it's a guiding principle of how we are to act towards ourselves. Number two, how are we to act towards the family of God? Towards the family of God. Well, it tells us here, it goes on, love one another with brotherly affection. With brotherly affection. And the idea is that we are to love others as if they're the family. Now, we're talking about the family of God. We're talking about the church. We're to love one another like family, not like strangers, not like somebody that we just happen to meet, like we're actually family. We're to care about one another. We're to be concerned about one another. We're to put each other first in that sense. And when one part of the body hurts, we're to do what? We're to respond to that. Right now I have a sore elbow, and I probably told you that a couple of weeks ago. My elbow's bothering me. And so I have a TENS machine. I don't know if you know what that is. But Dr. Ho and I meet every once in a while, and I stick that thing on there. I can't stand the commercials, but the thing works. Put that thing on there, and I do all that I can to relieve the pain. I do all that I can to get that feeling better. Guess what I don't do? I don't go out to the kitchen and cut my arm off. 
I never do that. I, you know how many parts you'd have left if everything you cut off was sore? I mean, come on, you know. I mean, you think about that. I don't cut it off. I don't destroy it. I don't badmouth it. I don't get on its case. I don't scream at it. I don't say, you stupid parts. I do all I can to fix it. And if I need to take ibuprofen or if I need to put a TENS machine on there, I do everything I can because I want it to be the best it can possibly be. I want it to heal. I don't want it to hurt anymore. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, we have not always had that attitude. What's our attitude? Get rid of them. Cut them off. Kick them out. Move them out of here. They don't agree with us. And that is not what he's talking about here. He's talking about exercising agape, unconditional love. That's what we're to do. My knee was sore. Guess what? I'm going to rest it. I'm going to do it all it needs. I'm going to help it in any way that I can because that's what I'm called to do. I'm going to help out my body. We're to treat each other like we're a personal body, a physical body, because we are. That's what he just got done teaching. He goes on here and he says, do not love, or pardon me, um, uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another to show honor, in showing honor. That's the next thing that he says. Now, it's the idea of putting somebody else first. It's the idea of really showing genuine appreciation when somebody does something. And just saying, hey, we just appreciate you so very, very much. And it needs to be honest. It's not just doing it because now I want to get something out of it. That's the opposite of genuine love is selfishness. And when I want to build me up and I want to get something and I want you to say something nice back to me, hey, Stacy, you look really nice today. Why? I say that because now I want her to tell me how nice I look. Come on. <laughs> anyway, you know, we do that, right? We, we kind of have an ulterior motive. And it's saying, no, Stacy, you look really nice today because she looks really nice today in a proper way. What about the idea here? Well, the idea is of going to a meal and getting in line. Now, as a pastor at every banquet of the church, we don't have those anymore, but someday I ought to go first, right? I mean, you know, no, I had to be last. As a matter of fact, you ought to be last. Wouldn't it be neat instead of rushing to the table? Hope you'll forget this by the time we get there. Instead of rushing to the table first to get the first food to get the hot, every one of us was standing. No, no, you go. No, you go. You go. We're trying to get somebody to come to the table. Why? That's the idea. It's the idea of preferring one another, honoring one another, not worrying about me, worrying about them, lifting them up, meeting their needs. That's the idea that's found there. There's honor one another in that way. It goes on from that and says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervor in spirit. And then the key word is there, serve the Lord. What he's talking about, don't just be slothful in your life. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the zeal for serving the Lord. Have a passion to serve God. Have a passion to do that. I love it when somebody gets their ministry and loves it. Don't you love that, Andy, Pastor Andy? When you get somebody who just can't get enough of it and they're, they're happy about it and they want to serve and they want to make it better. And, you know, there's examples in this room that I could use that they wouldn't want me to. But we have some people that just have a passion for what they do. And, boy, we love it. And, you know, it's, it's great when you have to hold people back instead of getting a whip out and moving them forward. Now, they have to do it in the right way and they have the right attitude, but it's wonderful. And we have a people that, that's what's having a passion. As a matter of fact, the wording here says this. This is, do not be slothful in zeal in regard to service, but fervent in spirit. The word means boil, boil. 
I love it when somebody boils for the ministry. I love it when they're boiling. Now, that's not the point of boiling over and out of control, but it's the idea of boil. They're boiling. They just, they just can't wait to get enough. They want to get in there. And they call you up and they say, can I get in this day? Can I do this? Can I do that? Because I just want to move this forward. Or they're requesting, we need this equipment or we need that. They just have a passion to see that ministry move forward in the balance of all of the other ministries in that way. That's what we're to have. We're to boil. And he just got done talking about spiritual gifts. Pastor, uh, Pastor Dave did a wonderful job uh, last week about talking about gifts and how we're to use the, but where do you do it what? With passion, with desire, with heart that moves us forward in that way. That's how we serve and relate to the body of Christ. Rejoice in hope. It's talking there about an eternal hope. Uh, you know, even though we're in the middle of orange and we wonder if this is ever going to end, there is a hope. One day it'll end, I promise you. One way or the other, it's going to end. And one way maybe that Christ comes back. We're to live in that hope. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. And that ought to unite us together and bring us on that one page and working together because we have one hope, one purpose, one Christ, one Lord. We're to do these things in hope. Be patient in tribulation. That means, that's not, that's not talking outside the body of Christ, talking about inside the body of Christ. And there are times when there's tribulation in the body of Christ between believers. And we're to be what? Patient. Patient, exercising love, that agape love, that caring for one another. And when things, you, know, you put two people in a room long enough, they won't get along so, about something. I found that out. Uh, you know, that's the way it is. Well, we're to be patient. We're to be kind. We're to be gentle, giving the benefit of the doubt in the body of Christ. Be constant in prayer. You know what prayer does? It does a lot of things. but two things it does. It changes them, and better yet, it changes me. That's what prayer does. And so instead of fighting and arguing and going on when we're having a problem with somebody else, we need to ask ourselves, God, is it me? That's the first place to start. And then secondly, if it's not me, then change them so that we can have unity in the body of Christ. That needs to happen there. And we need to pray about it and pray over it. And people that are constantly in prayer it just, just have a wonderful ability to get along. Interesting, our staff meeting... Starts, it's on Wednesday morning. We bring our, our uh, executive staff or whatever word you want to use there, our, our ministering staff together. We probably, between prayer requests and, and prayer time, probably an hour, an hour and a half. We do nothing else but that because we realize that the staff, the church that prays together stays together. It's important for us to do that. And we deal with, with oneness and unity and prayer. We pray for one another. One of the things we do is always pray for something about the Lord and thank the Lord. Then we pray for another staff member. And we go, it's neat as you go around the room and every staff member gets prayed by another staff member. That, I'll tell you, that'll unite you together. That's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. We ought to be praying. And especially if we have struggle getting along with somebody, we ought to be what? Constant in prayer for them. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints is faithfully looking after one another. We've seen that, especially with our pastors lately and that pouring out. We're very thankful for that. Continuing to the needs of the saints, looking after one another in that way. And then seek to show hospitality is not just having people in your house that you like or that you're friends. It's having people in that are strangers because the wording here comes from the idea of people that are traveling on the road. It was very dangerous back then to do that. And so the idea was you would open up your home instead of sending somebody to an inn or whatever, you'd invite them into your house. 
and the idea. So what are you to do then to have this proper relationship with the body of Christ? Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but show fervency in serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Continue to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That would make a big difference in the church. If we had those things as a primary attitude of honoring each other, lifting each other up, what a unity, what a oneness we would have. Well, I suggest to you that these first two have been fairly easy. Fairly easy. The first one, I love myself in the right way. Number two, I love the body of Christ around me. I can't wait to fellowship with them. It gets a little harder from there because he goes on and he says, how we are to act towards the world. How we are to act towards the world around us. Now, we're talking about not the philosophy, but the people. Verse 14 says, bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse them. Well, I want to tell you something. That's not as easy as the first two. When the person actually comes out and persecutes you because of where you stand for Christ, because of who you are, we are to turn around and to bless them. It means to make them happy. That's what the word bless means. It means happy, to make them happy, to bless them, to pour out blessing upon them, to pray for them, to ask God's blessing on somebody who persecutes you. Now, if you're living for Christ, persecution is part of the, of the deal. That's just the way it is because people don't like Jesus. They don't like the Jesus that you serve. And if you're living for Christ, there's going to be a certain amount of that persecution. The Bible makes it clear. But he says we are to bless those people. He even goes on from that and says bless them and do not curse them. Now the word curse here, curse them, actually is the phrase, the idea of go to, I don't need to finish that. That's what it means. And I think it's a shameful thing to think there may be a believer who would be driving down the road and someone would pull out in front of them and they go, go to, how terrible that would be. But sometimes we let that slip or we think that way or whatever. We are to bless them. We are to ask God's blessing on them. We are to pray for them, realizing that the world in this case is not saved. We should have such a passion for them to come to know Christ that we can't help but to bless them no matter what happens. And when they pull in front of us, when they curse us, when they persecute us, whatever it is, our response needs to be one that's not of the world, not the normal response, but the response ought to be one of Christ. And that is only possible as the Holy Spirit each day is invited to be in charge of my life. As I ask the Holy Spirit to be on the throne, that the love of God can throw, flow through me to those around me. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Now that sounds pretty simple, but when you put it in the context of what he's talking about here, he's talking about rejoicing with those that rejoice at your expense. When you become the bunt of the joke, when you become the one that they're making fun of, how do you respond to that? We're to rejoice with them. Let it, let it go. Don't worry about it. We're to bless them in that sense. Weep with those who weep. The idea of crying when someone are hurting, showing genuine concern, letting that agape love pour out upon them when they're going through that difficult time. Live in harmony with one another. We're to live in that way. Now, there's three times the word one another is used here. Two of them are in the context of the church. The third one is the community around us. 
one another <coughs> is the idea in the church of loving one another, building one another up. Actually, it's 60 times in the New Testament the phrase one another is used in regards of how we're to act. But in this case, it's the idea of being in harmony with our neighbors as much as possible, with those who we work at. Do not be haughty because that's the opposite of this idea of loving people. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with lowly. You see, no relationship that's built on haughtiness or pride can ever last. We're to associate with the lowly. We're to be care about everyone. And I think that James talks very much about this when it says that somebody that comes into your church and uh, is more money or powerful or whatever it is, oh, come sit right down front. And somebody who doesn't really matter in society or maybe smells a little bit or looks a little different, well, you sit at the back. James says we are never to do that. We're to treat every person in the community around us with love and care and kindness. You see, we're living in a world today. We're living in a world today that more and more people that look different than we do, if I can put it that way, are going to show up to church if God's doing what we want them to do. And they're going to have people that come in where one day we're going to sit there and be two girls sitting back here together that are married or two guys sitting over here. Or there's somebody who has a gender dysphoria that's in this situation or whatever else you want to put in there. As a church, not that they would serve, but as a church, we need to be opening, open. We need to be welcoming. We may invite people because they need Christ. They need Christ. I think it would be a horrible thing if somebody came into church in one of those situations or others and they felt like they were shunned, felt like we didn't care. God loves them. God cares about them. I often ask myself, if God loves this person agape, unconditional, what right do I have not to? What right do I have to treat them in that way? And so our church needs to be a church of love. You know, it's easy to be a church that's a museum. It really is. You have a museum and we're lifting up these trophies of grace and we set them up there and we say, isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? But what we are called to be is an emergency room, a hospital emergency room where people can come in and people that are broken and people whose hearts are just broken and they're lost and they don't know how to do things. And we bring them in. We're a fully equipped hospital room, an emergency room. And people can come in and we can help them to get to where they need to be. But it doesn't start by being critical. It doesn't start by being judgmental. It starts by showing genuine love. That's not easy. I'm not suggesting it is for a moment. In our workplace, in our home life, because things are different than they used to be, in all of those places, we are what? Associate with the lowly. You know what I think when I think of that? Taxpayers and sinners. Who did Jesus hang around with? Taxpayers and sinners. And if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I mean, we just need to realize that that's where we're called to be, to associate with the lowly, to care about them deeply in regards to that. Never be wise in your own sight, he ends that thought with. Because when I'm wise in my own sight, I'm not opening to teaching. I'm not opening to God moving. I'm stuck in my ways. I've got it this way in that sense. And so there needs to be this idea of I am teachable I am willing to be taught 
by God's. Okay, so then we deal with personal, and then we deal with the family of God, and then we deal with a relatively friendly world around us. They persecute us, but all in all. But then he goes to the really difficult one. And that's how do you deal with enemies? How do you deal that if people have absolutely decided that they're going to be an enemy towards you? Because Omni says this, repay no one evil for evil. Hmm. That's not different. That's not the, uh, the philosophy of the world. I'm going to get even. I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to step up and take care of that. You'll never treat me like that again. That's the attitude that we find. That's what the world teaches us. This is radical. This is different. This calls for a real sense of control on my part, but that's the Holy Spirit that does that. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to what you do to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The words give thought there, you know what that tells me? The word pause. Because my first reaction is to fix this problem. And when I run off of my, my, me, you know, half-cocked on me, and I go and fix it, I'm going to fix them. But you know what it says? It says here, I'm just to pause. I'm to pause. I'm to think about it. I'm to think about how does this affect the reputation of God. Not that I'm here to defend him. But the idea of how does this affect the body of Christ How does it affect my witness? Because it tells us, it says, the idea of give thought to do what is honorable. Where? In the sight of all. Huh. In the sight of all. In other words, there are people that are watching you and watching me to see how we're going to react when an enemy stands against us. That's what that says. And how we react is important Because it sends forth the message of the love of God. He goes on from that and he says, If possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably to all. I have a responsibility as much as I possibly can to live at peace with my neighbors, to live at peace with the person I work with, the person whatever. I have a responsibility to do all that I can. Now, there are times on the other side where you just can't, people are just hard to get along with and obstinate, and they're just going to give you a hassle no matter what you say. I understand that. But from my side, I'm going to live like Christ. From my side, I'm going to live in that way. Jesus on the cross prayed that, they, you know, that God would forgive them because they didn't know what they were doing. Stephen It says, don't hold this against them as they're stoning him. And that's the attitude we need to have. Oh God, reach them, touch them. And as much as it depends on me, I'm going to live at peace. And he goes on to give us an example of that. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. This is the opposite of what I've been taught in the world. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord's. You think, wow, why would you do that? I can take care of this right now. Well, the truth of the matter is I'll probably get it mixed up. I don't know all the story. I don't know all the ins and outs. I don't know the motives, but God knows all of those things. And God will equalize that up. God will bring about his wrath. As a matter of fact, goes on from there and he says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, strengthen him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, help him, minister to him in that way. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. You know what that says? If you respond to that person in a biblical, godly way, 
and they still don't respond back in a biblical, godly way, God is keeping account of that. God is writing that down. God's going to repay that. It's burning coals upon his head. God has a response there, and we just need to leave it with the Lord. It's not hard to love me. I'm pretty good at that. You know, I know you don't, Andy, but I love me. It's not hard to love you. You're pretty good. I love you. You're great. You're awesome people. You work hard. You, you give like, like amazing. You, we ask and you respond. You've been wonderful. Easy to get along with. Always be that way. It's not hard to be in the body of Christ. It's not hard to really, really, really love the world because I can pour that out. But when somebody hates me, absolutely hates me, that's hard. That's hard to respond in that way. It's hard to take the high road and do that. And yet that's what we're called to do. And then he ends up with do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. It kind of reflects back on abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And the point being is the believer who continually, continually feeds the good and walks away from the evil will win. There's coming a victory in that. There will be a winning in that. Evil will be put dealt with one day. Good will be raised up and God will be blessed. I was listening to an interview between Steve Murphy and Premier McNeil the other night. And they were talking about, the, the, he's been you know, um, the Premier there for quite a while. And he said, if you were to give some advice, Steve Murphy said, if you were to give some advice to the next Premier, what would you say? What would you tell him to do? And he simply responded to be, be true to yourself, be who you are. That's what he's telling us here. In every situation, whether it's dealing with yourself, dealing with the church, dealing with your neighbors, dealing with your enemies, in every situation, be who you really are, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. Want to reflect Christ in your actions, in your attitude. Be who you really are. Take the mask off that we wear in so many situations and act like you really are. Let people see Christ in you. You see, what we forget is we have the most powerful world-changing mechanism or ability there is. Do you realize that? Because we are living in a world where there's anything but real love. There's false love, there's erotic love, there's, there's you know, not genuine, it's counterfeit. But to show genuine agape love to everyone around us will change this world. People will sit up, they will take notice. They may not say a lot, but they'll notice there's something different. The Bible tells us that the world will know we're Christians by what? Our love for one another. And they'll further know that by our love for them. Be who you're called to be. Be a reflector of Christ. As the Holy Spirit fills you every day, allow that love to flow through you to change the lives of those around you. It's important that we realize that we have been given this privilege 
It's not easy, but God has called us to do it. God has called us to change the world around us by our love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. And I thank you so much for this calling, because this is a high calling. We may look at it, oh, it's a terrible responsibility that you've delayed on us this morning, Pastor. No, it's a high calling. I get to reflect Christ. I get to reflect the agape love of God in my life. Help me to love myself in the right way, to do what is good and not evil. Help me to love my church, to be a part of it, to give to it, to be enthusiastic about it, to be peaceable, to be kind, to honor one another, these kind of things that we need to be doing. Help me to love the world, the people of the world around me. May others see Christ in me by how I respond to them, by, by love instead of hate, by encouragement instead of tearing down by building them up, by weeping when they weep, by rejoicing when they rejoice. Help them to see Christ in me. But the most difficult is help me to them to see Christ in me when they persecute to the point of being an enemy. My response is they're an enemy, they're awful, they're terrible, I wanna just deal with it. Help me to do the opposite of that. Oh, Father, help us to be a church that changes this world by how we treat the world around us, by how we treat our enemies, that people would see Christ in us. We have this wonderful ability to have the greatest, powerful, changing element there ever was, and that's called love. Help us to love those around us. For the sake of Jesus Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.